Thank you, Daniel. If you have your Bibles, kind of open to the front of your New Testament. We're going to look at a lot of what Jesus says today about being disciples because we're in this series that we're calling Follow Me, which could be the name of every series that we do. We're all here, uh, I think, at least interested in what it would take to follow Jesus. And uh, every service that we gather together is a discipleship opportunity. The things that Daniel was talking about, these life groups, that's another discipleship environment. We're talking specifically in this series about another opportunity here at Bay Life Church that could be uh, even uh, more or as, as beneficial or, or plus beneficial to you. Uh, it's, it's in being in discipleship uh, relationships, like one-on-one, one-on-some. And uh, we started our process last week talking about some of you uh, who God might uh, want to use in helping other people move forward in their faith. We call you disciplers. And uh, we had a meeting yesterday with about 115 of you who have indicated that you would be at least interested in figuring out that. So that's, that was a huge yay, God. Uh, and now we just got to figure out uh, who among us needs to be discipled. So let me posture that question. Let me just throw that out. Uh, who among us needs to be discipled in our faith in Jesus Christ? Anybody? Yeah, just the real quick answer to that is uh, yes, everybody. Uh, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you never finish. We said uh, in the first service that the only time you're done is when you're done. Like, you are done spiritually growing here on the earth when you are done physically here on the earth. Until that time, until you breathe your last or until Jesus comes back and gets you, you're always going to be figuring out this life with Christ. Isn't that true? It's just how it works. Uh, No one finishes. No one uh, aces the course and moves on to whatever's next. There's no black belt uh, ninth degree Christians. Well, that would be cool. We should start a belt system around here. That would be great. I kind of want to spend this week, next week we'll get more into uh, hopefully what will be the connecting of disciplers with disciplees uh, as we finish out this series. But I want to spend this week just kind of answering some questions about discipleship in general. So let's just do that because here's what happens a lot of times. A pastor starts preaching and he assumes that everybody's on the same page with what he's talking about. And maybe we have very different definitions of what a disciple is. So uh, let's just start with some of these uh, questions and answering them. Uh, how does someone become a disciple? So just turn next to, the, to somebody uh, you know, in, in your row or next to you or if you're by yourself. Get your phone out and just kind of hold it with the camera on and look at yourself and have a conversation with you. Uh, but just uh, try to figure out, how, how does someone become a disciple? What does it take to become a disciple? Uh, tell someone next to you or have a conversation with yourself. Go ahead. Go ahead. Be festive. Some of you aren't talking. Is it a tough car ride? Tough car ride here? No one's talking over there? You don't like them? We have counselors. Yeah, I'm looking right at you if you're wondering. I'm looking right at you. This section's very happy in their marriages. Okay, everybody got something? Did anybody just answer, hey, a, a disciple is someone who follows someone? Did anybody just go real general like that? Okay, good. That's pretty good. Uh, when we come to church, usually it gets all spiritual and Christian-y and stuff like that, which is totally fine, uh, and that's where we're going to go. Uh, when, you, when you think about a, a Christian disciple, uh, it's someone who just, uh, bare bones, has made a decision to stop living them li- their lives for themselves and have, has turned their life over to following Jesus, all right? They've understood the gospel, and let me just kind of hopefully clearly explain that here in a second. If you're new to the church and what the church believes, you're going to hear lots of brands of this and... And lots of added stuff to this, but this is the bare bones gospel. You and I were created by a God 
who is over things uh, and is sovereign in all ways. Uh, he gave us the, the choice to follow him or not, and the first people chose him not. When that happened, this thing that we call sin entered into the world. It was man's rebellion against God, and it's been a nasty part of you and me ever since. And it's something that has to be rectified. Unfortunately, you and I do not have the cure for our sins. It is not in us. It's not something where you balance a scale. Uh, Your sin is too heavy for you and me to figure it out and rectify and and atone. So what God did is uh, through the story of Scripture, he talked about how man could be, by his grace, uh, brought back into a relationship with him. And in the New Testament, he, he sends his son, Christmas, it's not his name, but that's what we celebrate. Uh, but his name is Jesus, and his son comes. He lives a perfect life. Uh, he becomes for us a perfect sacrifice because the requirement for everyone's sins is that death must occur. And Jesus took our death on himself, praise God. And we are saved by his grace and his work on the cross. We believe that he died, he rose again, and that because he did, we can and our salvation is in Christ alone, by faith alone, and through his grace alone. That's the gospel. Now, if you believe that with your mom and dad before you said your prayers that one night in your bedroom, or with your buddy that you went to high school with and he dragged you to your youth group, or with that coworker who would just not leave you alone until you came to Bay Life Church, whatever the case may be, if you made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, and you're not relying on you anymore to take care of this thing that we call sin, then you are a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, We call that salvation. Everybody say salvation. It's the emphasis on the Savior part of Jesus' name, as, as we call him, our Savior and our Lord. Salvation, he's our Savior. Salvation is the beginning of discipleship. It's, it's the portal. It's the opening. It's, it's, it's step one. But it's not by far the end of your discipleship experience. Uh, for too many, it is. For, for too many Christians, they get their fire insurance. Good, I'm not going to burn forever in eternity. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 and they have this life with Christ secured for them after uh, they die. And they have this you know, joy of being a part of the church and all those great things. But then they just kind of stop. They just stop in their whole discipleship process. One foot inside the door. But what God wants for us is what we call sanctification. Everybody say sanctification. He wants us to grow into what he's given us in his son, Jesus Christ. He wants us to become just like Jesus. Did you know that when you became a Christian, you got the full download? Like everything's there? Like all of the potential that... uh, God hopes for you to fulfill and you becoming just like Jesus. It's there. It's like when my, my cousins used to send me hand-me-downs. I didn't have any new clothes until I was like in junior high. I'm not kidding. It just didn't happen. We was po-po-po. And so uh, fortunately, uh, I had these older cousins who lived in Canada. I lived in America. And like once every six months, their old nasty clothes, tough skins. Anybody remember tough skins? Uh, they were huge in Canada apparently because that's all I ever got. But anyway... Uh, they would come in a big bag, tough skins or jeans, if you're wondering. I digress. Anyway, uh, they would come from Canada, and I would open the bag, and I had this one cousin. His name was Kent. He's like four or five years older than me. His clothes were the closest that would fit me, all right, because they were the most recent. He was closest to my size. He had two older brothers who were, were basically in middle school and high school, 
but my Aunt Marjorie would send those clothes just the same. My mom would be like, oh, cool. And she'd put them up next to me, you know, 10, 11-year-old Mark, and, and the pants would start at my shoulders. You know what I'm talking about? And what would she say? You'll just have to grow into those. And that's what Jesus said to you the day that you chose him. Is he put the pants up next to your shoulders and you were just brand new in the faith and just starting to figure this thing out and you didn't even know, uh, you know, like my friend Andrew, we talked about him last week, you didn't know that there was a book of John, so you went to Barnes and Noble and you got a two-set commentary on the book of John. I mean, you, you didn't know what you didn't know and you couldn't begin to know those things until you started growing. But here was his expectation. Someday these are going to fit. Someday you're going to become just like my son Jesus. You're going you're to get close. You'll never be done, but you're going to get close. That's my hope for all of you who call on my name. Make Jesus your Savior, but make him your Lord, right? And that's this process that we call sanctification. It's like my first job uh, that I ever had. I was uh, uh, the, the, the dishwasher, the uh, seafood breader, and the dessert maker, all in one. And I remember I was just about to turn 16. I thought it was going to be impossible because I wasn't 16 yet to, to start working you know, legally at this restaurant, but apparently they... Knew a way. And, uh, and so uh, I, I got hired on the spot. My buddy took me in. He says, hey, this guy's willing to work. And, and like, well, we need a dishwasher. You're hired. That night I came into work for the first time. Had my, you know, my, I uh, had to go out and buy uh, Blue Dickies because it was a restaurant business. So I had to have the right clothes and all that stuff. And I spent my first night. Did they just say, okay, there it is, go. Is that what they said? Anybody ever start a job like that? No, the first day on the job. Oh, did you? Sorry if that happened. <laughs> That's not how it's supposed to work, just so you know. The first day you're on a job, you're supposed to shadow someone. You're supposed to just watch someone else do your job, and you do it with them, but you're supposed to figure out your job by looking at someone else do it, right? That, that sounds like some following type stuff, right? But then what happens after that first night? Then you're on your own. Anybody want to guess about my efficiency in my job the first night that I was on my own? Four different times in the first evening that I was working. It was a Friday. Way to start me on a Friday, but... Uh, uh, the, the manager in charge had to come back and actually help me with the dishes so that they had dishes to put food on so they could serve the patrons at this restaurant. He was not a Christian. <laughs> he was very unkind to 15-year-old Mark. I thought I was going to die a couple times when he came back there. Neck bulging, I mean, just said some interesting things. But after that night, I started figuring out, I, I better hurry up. This, this, this job is, is, is time-sensitive. I've got to be able to do this stuff fast. So I learned not to wash my hands after handling the ashtrays. And I went right to breading the seafood. If you, if you, ever, had, if you ever had the, sea, the fisherman's platter at Yousef's in Caribou, Maine, and it tasted a little smoky, hi, how you doing? That was me. I got away with that for a week before they found out I was doing it. Anyway. But guess what? Three weeks into it, three weeks into it, I started to get pretty good. I mean, not the best dishwasher ever, but I, I knew my job. And uh, I would, I would I just improved. Cause why? Because I, I worked it. I went there every weekend or, or, you know, four or five nights a week, and I just I busted my hump washing the dishes for Yousef's restaurant. I got so good at it, you know what they did? They promoted me. I became the pizza man. Thank you very much. Got to work the pizza oven. Yeah, and why, how did that happen? Well, I, I was starting to grow into my pants. Are you with me? I was starting to figure things out. And when you figure things out, there's more for you to enjoy. There's, there's benefits and opportunities that come from growing 
And, and so uh, here's the question I have for us at this particular stage in our sermon. Uh, think about back, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Well, first of all, if you're not yet, please follow Jesus Christ. Please discover what has changed my life and the lives of so many people in this room. Discover the joy of a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Please do that. But if you have discovered that, here's my question for you. Anything different? I mean, from the time that you trusted Jesus till now, is, is, is anything changed? Now, some of you say, oh, Mark, you wouldn't believe how much I changed. Those first few months, I mean, I figured out that I couldn't do this and this and this, and so I started really working hard, and people prayed with me, and I stopped doing some of those things. I'm still working on some of those, but, you know, tons of change in those first few months. Okay, so in that first few months, once you got kind of your baseline, you know, your standard, your, your mesa, you know, anything changed since then? No, no, not really. You know, if, if, if you really put the hot lights on me and put the bamboo shoots in my fingernails, I'd, I'd probably have to tell you that, uh, you know, I'm not really concerned with going much further. You know, I'll just show up on Sundays mostly. I'll serve when you make me feel guilty. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll pick up a life group catalog. But, you know, beyond that, hey, settle down. I'm a Christian. What do you want from me? It's not what I want from you. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm just telling you what he wants from you. He wants everything from you. He's not satisfied until you're full on following him. And that's why we're talking about discipleship. Some of us, it's long past due that we start growing in this faith that we have. We've been settling for salvation and we've been skipping out on sanctification. And not not to be. This is the best thing that ever happened to you. If you're going to follow Jesus, let's just do this. If we're going to do it, let's do it. So let's talk with this next question. Why, why should someone get discipled? Why should someone make the effort to get discipled? Uh, there's, there's a bunch of reasons for this, but I'll just kind of narrow it down to a couple. The first one is to learn what you believe. To learn what you believe. Uh, so many of us as Christians never really learn what we believe. Or, or, or we get taught it. How many times, I mean, just think in your head. If you go to 50-something sermons a year and you do that for 20 years, what's that, 1,000? Is that 1,000? Something like that? Something like 1,000. Uh, you've listened to a thousand sermons and think about that. If you've taken in a thousand 40 ish minute sermons and, uh, sometimes longer, uh, but if you take all those in and you never change, what's going on? What just happened? You spent like days of your life and there's no results to show. Are, are you with me? I'm, I'm not saying it never, but, but, but if that's kind of how this works, what are we doing? Let's learn. And be changed by what we learn. I gave my father-in-law an iPad uh, a couple of years ago for Christmas. And, uh, and, and with the iPad, we went to Sam's and we got him uh, iPads for seniors. It's basically a nice way of saying iPads for dummies, right? But, but it's, a, uh, it's one of these iPads for people who've never had technology in their hands. And my, listen, my father-in-law read that book. He's a reader. He read it front, to front page, back page, read everything in that book. He familiarized himself with all the wonders of Apple technology, right? You know what he uses his iPad for? Sudoku. <laughs> it's a $500 Sudoku machine. And he loves it. And he'll come in, wear that sucker out, play Sudoku, 
But he's, you know, he read the book and he's just not interested in trying any of the other stuff. It's too much of the church. You've heard the, you've heard the book, you've read the book, you know this, and you're like, eh, I'll just play Sudoku. Thank you very much. It's like, uh, it's like you've settled for just learning a couple sentences of your, of your new language, right? Like, okay, follow me on this. I go to this Mexican restaurant down here on 60 called Sabor. I uh, used to frequent it quite a bit. And uh, I, got, I struck up a friendship with the guy who owns the place. He, he didn't speak a lick of English. Just didn't, he doesn't speak it. And so uh, I try to have conversations with him, with the Spanish that I have. And I, just so you know, I know two sentences. Hola, como esta el jefe? Uh, bien, bien, usted? Bien. That's it. Guess how many times I've had that same conversation with the dude who owns El Sabor? I can't count them. It's every time. And you'd think, okay, because, you know, he's an interesting guy. Hey, how'd you get your restaurant? Where are you from? You got family? I don't know how to say that. Como esta el hermanos? I don't even know what that is. I don't know what I just said. I think that's brothers. Is that brothers? Something like that. I don't know how to talk to him. And so our relationship stays where? He, it's, it's stunted. It can't go further. Why? Because I can't be bothered to know more. Oh, the church is full of people, unfortunately, who just can't be bothered to know more. We got a God up in heaven who, would, who knows us perfectly. He knows the hairs on your head, or if you don't have any, he knows other parts of you too. He knows everything about us, and he wants us to know everything that we can about him. You get discipled so you can learn those things. You, you can learn what to believe. You, when, when you learn things, I'll just throw this in. When you learn things, it makes the other things that you learn make better sense. Did you know that? Like, if you don't have context for some of the things that I get up here and talk to, or if you, if you plop your Bible open, you, anybody ever done this? You're reading the Bible, and you're like, who are these people? What is happening? I don't know what's going on in the Bible. And, but, but, if, but as you learn the Bible, then you plop your Bible open. And you're like, oh, I know who Moses is. He's in the Old Testament. He's near the front. Oh, I know what he did. And, and, and all of a sudden, when it starts talking about Moses' law and these things like that, you're not lost. It's not frustrating for you. Who's ever gone to a movie with someone who hasn't seen the first six? Like Star Wars just came out. There are still Americans who have never seen a Star Wars movie. I don't know what your problem is, people. But this is a part of our DNA. We are Star Wars, Right? And so, uh, like, I, I know one family, they watched all six before they went to the seventh one. Good, good on you. Good play, because now you're caught up. You know the story. But I know some families who went to the seventh one, and members of that family hadn't seen the first six. How much of a pain must that have been at that movie? Why is everybody cheering for Han Solo? Who's the big furry guy? What is going on, right? It's because we don't know the context, and... And the joy of learning God and growing as his disciple is that we, listen, it gets easier to know him more when you know him a little. It just kind of keeps expanding. Are you with me? So uh, that's the first reason, to learn what they believe. The second reason is to return to what we believe. Let me just talk about this for a second. Um, it's uncanny to me the number of people who take a break from Jesus. Okay, without, you know, raising your hands or whatever, maybe you can just cross your eyes or do a quick, of these to me or something like that. 
But if you've ever taken a break from Jesus, whether it was in college, you know, you grew up in the church and then you went to college and then it was like 15 years and you don't know where it went and after two marriages and whatever, you're back here now. Or, or maybe your parents got divorced when you were a kid in school and because they got divorced, everybody stopped going to church and you're just back after a while. Or maybe you were a Christian and doing great until your mid-20s, mid-30s and then you, don't even, you don't even have like something, you know, to point to and say, I just took a break, but you took a break. Anybody? All right. Yeah, it happens. You know why? Because the new creation wrestles with the old creation, and the old creation sometimes wins. What I meant by that, if you're not familiar with the Bible, is, is that we are new in Christ, but we're still wrestling with sin. And sometimes sin just pins us for a while, right? And some of you walk in here and you got eighth grade Christian education, because that's when you stopped. You got five year old Christian education, because that's when your parents stopped taking you. You, you were stunted at the age of 25 because you got up to that point and then you're like, I don't need Jesus anymore. And now you're back. Good to have you. But guess what? Discipleship, it's not like, like I, it's not like God wants you to come back and stay in eighth grade or stay at five years old or stay where you were but when you, you know, before you left. He wants you to pick right up and continue and progress. He wants you to take advantage of every opportunity that you have to become more and more like Jesus. This is a picture. Keep going. Go to the picture. Everybody see what that is? It's a treadmill. Okay? Anybody want to guess where that is? It's in my office, right back there. Here's the story. We were downsizing our house right around the same time that we were downsizing my office. We put our administrative assistant in my current office that used to be a lot bigger. We carved her office out of that. So I got this little hallway. You can see this is my bookshelf. And my bookshelves used to wrap all around. All my books are on my computer now. I don't need bookshelves. And so where my bookshelves used to be, I got this like closet size space that was perfect for this treadmill that I had never really used at my house uh, to now be put in my office at work. And here, I mean, come on, what's the thinking? My office is a gym. Anytime I want to, I can get up from what I'm studying or after I've had a, a session with someone counseling them and I can hit this sucker and I can uh, go to the gym. It's five feet from my chair. How awesome is this? Okay. Uh, I'll tell you that in the, in the three or four years it's been in my office, I've been on it uh, the number of times it'll fit on your hand. Everybody put up the number of times that you think Mark has used this uh, treadmill on, on their hands. Go ahead. Two, seriously? That's hurtful. That is some hurtful stuff. Three, come on. Four, sir, four times. Two. Who had zero? You're off the Christmas list. That's all I'm saying. No cards for you. Hurtful stuff. Uh, we make great plans. And, we, and here's my point. We have all kinds of opportunity to do good, th- to, to head in the directions that will make us more like Jesus. And we just let them sit there. And it's time for some of us who've just kind of been satisfied with status quo to kick this thing back into gear. Get on that treadmill. Let's go somewhere and do something with this life that has been given to us by the grace and the sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you with me? The time I got left, let me just explain uh, some of the things that comprise a disciple of Jesus Christ. The question we want to answer is this. What exactly 
is a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, it's nuanced. There's, there's a whole Bible about what it is to follow Jesus, and I'm not going to hit every one of the things, but I want to hit at least three, and if time allows, which it hasn't yet in this weekend, but if time allows, four uh, of the things that I say would be important for us if we're followers of Jesus Christ. And here's why I mention them. So they're going to be review for most of us. Here's why I mention them. <clears throat> if we're not batting a 1,000, perfect, nailing it, if we haven't uh, probed and searched for every depth of these things in our relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to I wanna encourage you and, and spur you, like it says in Hebrews 11, to spur you on towards this deeper and more meaningful expression of your faith in Jesus Christ. If you're not batting a thousand in these things, it could be, not necessarily, uh, you know, in, in some one-on-one or one-on-some relationship, but, it, but perhaps it could be time for you to kind of kick this stuff back up in gear or kick it in gear for the first time and go deeper in your understanding of these things so that you're a better follower. Remember, that's what we said last week and been saying all year. We want more better. We want more people following Jesus, and we want the people who do follow Jesus to follow him better with everything that they've got. So here we go. What exactly is a disciple of Jesus Christ? Well, obviously, the first thing that we're going to tackle here from the words of Jesus himself is that a disciple of Jesus is someone who puts Jesus first. Jesus is truly my Lord and not just my Savior. He, he has the say-so in my life. In Mark chapter 8, it says this. If you're following along in your Bibles, I'll give you a chance to kind of scroll or flip or whatever you're doing. But we're just going to kind of look at some of the things that are in the red letters in your Bibles. That means Jesus said them. And Jesus said these uh, things to his disciples. He says, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, familiar stuff to many of us. Here we go. If anyone would come after me, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciple, he, let him deny himself and take up his cross and then follow me. It's a three-step process. The first thing, say no to you. Say no to you. Second thing, be willing to say yes to anything for me. That whole pick up your cross stuff, everybody listening knew exactly what he meant. Follow me, it's all in. Say no to you. Say yes to everything that I would require of you in this relationship with me. And then you follow me. That's what it is. No to you in everything, yes to me, in everything. He goes on in verse 34, he says this, for whoever would save his life would lose it. Paradox. I used to wear Doc Martens. That's what I thought a paradox was. That's stupid. I don't know why I said that. Forgive me. Anyway, but for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. It's this, it, it doesn't work in, in the human frame of thinking. That, that if I want to have control or if I want to have the best life that I can have, I cede control and I, and I give it to my, my Lord, my Savior, Jesus Christ. Because human thinking is, is that when I let go of control, things don't go the way I want and that's not good. And so I'm going to you know, wrestle control in every situation that I can, my marriage, in my uh, you know, workplace, in my own you know, habits in life. And, uh, and that's how life will work out. But what Jesus says is, no, that's not how life uh, will work out. In fact, if you choose that, if you choose to manage your life on your own, uh, whether it's pre-Christ or once you've met Christ, if you take the wheel from Jesus, uh, carry under what has told us, Jesus should take the wheel, right? Because it's not going to work out otherwise. 
it sneaks in too, doesn't it? This whole uh, side of us that wants to be in control, it can just show up in, in the most inopportune times. I was sitting with a bunch of Christian couples uh, over at dinner recently, and it was in the midst of all the Powerball fervor. You know, it was $1.5 billion this week or whatever. I was rooting for you. I was hoping you'd tithe. But, uh, um, uh, but you know, it didn't work out. And, and, uh, but, we, but who's had the conversation? If you won, what would you do? Has anybody ever had that conversation? It's, it's in the forefront of everybody's thinking because it's all in the news and stuff. So we sat down with all these Christian couples, and we, we had this conversation. The question came up. Would you quit your job? How many of you would quit your job if you won the Powerball tomorrow? Yes. Yeah, don't like your jobs? Sorry, Steve. Hope you'll, yeah. He and his wife both hate, both hate their jobs. That's great. Um, yeah, many of us would. And so they asked me that question. And I said, well, no, I wouldn't quit my job. I'm a spiritual person. I am here because of the calling of God as the pastor of Bay Life Church, and no amount of money would ever sway me from quitting my job. Is that what I said? Heck no. I didn't even think. Yeah, sorry, Alice, I, I didn't even think, because the, uh, the Christian couples I was with said, would you quit your job? And my instant answer was, you better believe it. Some of you are like, he doesn't like us. <laughs> Has nothing to do with it. You know what was in my mind when I answered that question? The power that all that money would give me to control my life. And in that one instance, in that one moment, was I thinking about a God? Or about following a God? No. I was becoming the other side of that equation that Jesus mentioned, that you can't serve two masters, right? You can't serve God and money. Yeah. And I became your example this morning of how easy it is to just, even in an instance. My wife looked at me, and she just, she just said what she always says, Really? You're their pastor, you bozo. She didn't say that out loud, but there's this look she has, right? And that's what she's saying. And so I quickly recanted, caught myself, you know. I said, I'd probably give most of it away, right? I mean, that's what I do, and I totally work for free. And Because our attitudes should be like that beer commercial last year at the Super Bowl time. I'm up for whatever. I'm up for what God, I'm up for, listen, you're in charge. I'm up for whatever. You got plans for my life? I'm up for whatever. Let's do it. Uh, the answer is yes, Lord. Now, what's the question? Let's do this. You're my Lord, not me. So how's that working out in your life? Who's got a grip on your wheel? We've talked about this in here before. Let me hit it one more time. A lot of us are these kind of Christians where it comes to a, a majority of our lives. We might be 85, 90% of our lives completely yielded to God. Here you go, Lord, I'll do whatever you want. You just say, we'll jump, and I'll say how high, and we'll just do whatever. But there's this one or two or three areas of my life. They're kind of off limits to you. I'm not going to let you help me with my anger. It's just my thing. It's what I do. Hey, don't talk to me about my money. Because I work hard for my money, so hard for it, honey, right? <laughs> it's just what, it's mine. You can't have it. You can't, ha and, and, and this is what we do through life. Oh, Lord, in the, in the places and spaces where everybody sees me, I'm submitted. But in these dark, personal places in my life, you're not allowed. If that's the case, you might need, and you do need, all of us do some more discipling.
Disciples are people who uh, make Jesus their Lord, who follow him and let him take the lead. Uh, a disciple is a, a follower who knows what Jesus says. A follower who knows what Jesus says. Look what Jesus says. These next ones, Jesus just basically says, here's what a disciple is. He doesn't even like hide this. There's no parables. He's not trying to be tricky. He just says, this is what my disciples do. Pay attention. Everybody with me? Look what he says in John chapter 8. He says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, which was everybody in those early days. He only brought the gospel to Israel and to the Jews. But he said to these Jews who believed in him, he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly what? So one for one relationship, abiders in his word equals disciples. And so if you're going to follow me like I need you to follow me, you're going to have to A, know, know my words and know what I say to do. And then B, you're going to have to abide or do what I say to do. And we'll cover that in a second. But let me just bring up the alarming truth that is the biblical illiteracy of the modern church. Now, there's, uh, illiteracy is a problem in our, our nation. Some of you are like, I know how to read. Back off. Okay, we know how to read, but most of us don't anymore. Okay? We get all that we need you know, in the truth department from Chris and the rest of the Kardashians and, uh, and the rest of whatever is on television, and that's kind of how we you know, run our lives now. Whatever's tweeted, I'll read 140 characters, but don't bother me with a book. Like, did you know they did a survey as to how much Christians read the Bible? This is what they found out. Lifeway Christian Bookstore survey uh, found out that uh, the Christians they asked, uh, 19% of Christians they asked read the Bible every day. 19%. About 26% of those Christians uh, said that they read it a few times a week. Uh, 14% said once a week. So just so we're clear, about 55% roughly uh, of, of Christians uh, are going to be reading the Bible less than once a week. 22% they, at least, they said they read it at least once a month, and then a full 18% said I'd never read it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about you, but I kind of question responses to Christian surveys. <laughs> because even though you're anonymous, I'm guessing those numbers are a little skewed, right? Because everybody wants you to think that you read your Bible, right? Anyway, don't get me into that. But the but the full uh, the full the, the fullness of this 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 report is basically that there's the same amount of people reading their Bible every day as there is Christians who never read it. That there are more Christians reading uh, the Bible less than once a month than there are Christians who read it more than once a month. Uh, we are a culture becoming a culture that knows the chorus of the song but can't remember the rest of it or who wrote it. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I turn the radio on. You guys can sing along with just about every song, but unless it's showing up on the screen in your car. You're not going to know who sings that. You're not going to be able to sing the whole thing. And that's, that's what a lot of us know. We've got a couple of the lines down, but we don't know the address, and we don't know who's, who sang that verse. Are you with me? And what, what this does to us is it limits us, like I said earlier, in our ability to grow in our faith in Jesus Christ. When we don't know about what he's talking about, we can't apply the, the things that he wants us to do in life because they're not there. They're not available to us to make real in our lives. Let's go back to the example of Christ himself. And I remember he was being uh, uh, tempted in, uh, in his early days as, as, as he started his ministry. He got baptized by his cousin John. He went right out into the woods, spent 40 days. Uh, he didn't eat any of those days. He was in a weakened state. And uh, they sent the captain, captain of the varsity sin team to go and tempt him. Satan himself shows up in the desert and starts to say, say hey, man, we could shortcut all this stuff that's, that's basically going to end in you being crucified on a cross. And he tempts him three different times. Remember what Jesus did? Stood on one foot, 
hopped up and down three times, said icky, 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 patang, and everything was okay. Is that what he did? Good, I was hoping you wouldn't say yes. No, he, he turned to his tempter and he quoted scripture three times. He went to the book of Deuteronomy and he quoted the word of God. Now, good enough for Jesus, good enough for Jesus' followers, right? But here's the problem. So few of us pick up the word of God, and, and even when we do pick up the word of God, so few of us know how to ingest the word of God or what the word of God is saying. And let, let me give you guys a break for a second. A lot of times it's because no one's shown you. You're like the eunuch that Philip talked to in Acts chapter 8. This eunuch is just driving out of Jerusalem. He's got the scroll of Isaiah downloaded on his Kindle, and he doesn't know what he's reading. And so Philip comes up to his chair and he says, hey, bro, do you know what you're reading? And normally that'd be just a dumb question. If I walked up to you and you were reading the newspaper in the airport and I said, hey, do you know what you're reading? He's like, yeah, I bought it. Get a, you know, go away, weirdo. But this guy actually got appointment, didn't know what he was reading in the book of Isaiah. And Philip said, dude, I can help you. And he sits down next to him. And that's how that guy got saved. Got baptized shortly after that, right? Because someone said, and so, so I get it. You don't know what you're reading because you don't have someone sitting down and explaining it to you. Hey, guess what? We're heading in a track where, where as a church you can find someone who maybe knows a little bit more than you. And you can sit down and you can open the Bible and you can start reading it together. And you can start figuring out what that thing says so that it can become real in your life. How great is that? I'll tell you how great. Really great. It's awesome. It's how... I grew in my faith. Someone explained it to me. That's how you can grow in yours. Followers, and this will be the last one we get to, uh, followers uh, don't just know what Jesus says. They do what Jesus says. Look what Jesus says. He he goes in John 15 uh, off on this little uh, analogy of him being a vine and everybody else who follows him being a branch. He says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much, say it with me, fruit. There's fruit that comes from a life spent knowing me, following me, knowing what I want and doing it. You're going to produce the kinds of behaviors and the kinds of thoughts and the kinds of things that honor and glorify me, the, the things that look like me. You're, you're going to do that if you stick with me, know what I want and do what I say. Uh, he says, uh, it, is, it, is, it is this person that bears much fruit for apart from me, apart from the branch being on the vine, you can't do anything. He goes on in the next verses. I'll just summarize for him. But in the next part of the teaching, he says, listen, the inverse is true. If you're not a part of me, uh, you can't bear fruit. You're a twig. You're a branch that fell off the tree. People start fires with you. You're kindling. That's all you're good for. So, And then he gets to this part in verse 8, and he says this, and this is where I want us to, for our purposes, kind of focus. He says, by this my Father is glorified. Here's, here's what makes God happy. Here's what makes God honored. That you, my disciples, bear much fruit. And so, what's the word? Prove to be my disciples. I've heard it uh, argued sometimes theologically that we've got to stay away from this whole behavioristic, works-based kind of theology that can oftentimes uh, keep people from truly receiving God's grace and th- through faith because they can think it's all about my behaviors and stuff, and that's what really saves me. Okay. On the front side of salvation, that is absolutely accurate. Your works are filthy rags. They don't help you. It is by grace that you're saved through faith. And so front side of salvation, before you become a disciple, works bad, okay? Not help, at least not helpful in you becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. But everybody stay with me on this thing because you go through the door of faith and grace, works become very important. 
Not, not so that you can stay saved. I don't, I don't want to confuse you with that. But they become the evidence, the proof of the fact that you've walked through that door. Jesus said it himself. Your fruit is the proof of your discipleship. If I had time to get to the fourth thing today, we would see you will know, everybody will know that you are Christians, that you're my disciples. He says it right there. That you're my disciples by your love. By your actions that show love. The things that we do show who we're with. My daughter, when she was a younger lady, would be given the task of cleaning her room. If she would have all Saturday to do it, I would set her in her room as a young child, and I'd say, okay, listen, here's the vacuum. Here's everything you need to clean your room. Here's the very clear instructions that I have for you. I want everything off the floor. Nothing's shoved under your bed or in your closet. Vacuum it, and when you're done, you can come out. Got it? Yes, Daddy. Awesome. Six hours later, after singing through several, uh, you know, Broadway shows, uh, start to finish, uh, having sorted through and shifting some of the piles on her floor. Oh, I didn't know I had that still. And uh, not doing what I told her, I come back, knock on the door. I hear shuffling inside because she has to make it look like she's doing something. Right? Anybody been there with your kids? Quick. They're at the door. And so I come in. She's shuffling through the papers. Oh, hey, Dad, almost done. Almost, I look around. Almost done. It's been six hours. You've done nothing. We still fed her that night. But was she a good follower at that point? No. Had she, like, nodded like she was following? Yeah. Did she live in my house like she was following? Yeah. Did she have everything that she needed so she could follow? Yeah. Was she following? No. And so it is with too many churches. God's word is clear. Instructions are, are there. And, and people have everything that they need to follow. But they're just like, nah. I'm satisfied with two sentences. Como esta. Right? That's all I need. And this is not the Christ life we've been called to. The Christ life we've been called to is, is learning the lessons. Sometimes the hard way. Anybody learn some of the Christ lessons the hard way? Ever had to run into some walls so that Jesus could pound some stuff into your thick skull? Like this guy, right? But isn't it great? Let's just celebrate as we close. Isn't it great when that stuff sinks in and just becomes normal? Isn't it cool when, like, you spend enough time uh, getting shaped and molded by the, the Holy Spirit and the work of Christ in your life that, that the things in your life just kind of happen that you're like, oh, that's fruit. I didn't even try. It's just who he's made me to be. I was walking through Sam's on Friday. Uh, it was my day off, and Eleanor was finishing up a long week of work. And uh, so I walked past the uh, flower section at Sam's, and uh, I wasn't in trouble. I hadn't done anything wrong that I knew of, right? And I still got my wife flowers, and I threw them in my buggy, and I started walking towards the checkout center, uh, part of the store, and I heard these words, Hey, Pastor Mark. And I'm like, Oh, here we go. Hope I know, because a lot of times you'll, you'll know me because I preach at you all the time. And I, I got the Rolodex, and if I can talk to you long enough, I can start piecing together who everybody is. But I, I immediately have this fear that I don't know. So, so when you say, hi, Pastor Mark, even though we've talked a million times, just say, hey, it's me, Rob, or whatever. Or not, you don't have to do that. But you're with me. Okay. <clears throat> so I turn to the lady. I hear my name. Hey, Pastor Mark. And I, and I recognize her right away. I know she is. So I give her a big hug, and, and we start talking. Where's your husband? Oh, he's off in this section. He'll be right here. Make sure you say hi, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah. And then she looks in my cart. And what does she say? What'd you do? <laughs> right? 
And I didn't know what she was talking about. I thought she was talking about the milk. I was like, I bought milk? Oh, the flowers. And I thought there for just a second, and I had this little party inside of me. I was like, I didn't do anything. Uh, I just thought, after 24 years of being married to my wife, now listen, I'm not a perfect husband. Don't think I get her flowers every week. I do not. But in this particular instance, someone caught me doing something that the Lord has had to pound into me over 24 years of marriage, that I need to put my wife first. I need to be sensitive to her needs. I need to be able to think about her instead of myself. And she caught me doing it. And I didn't even have to, I didn't, it wasn't even like I saw her coming down the aisle and I was like, oh, Pastor Mark's going to be caught. I got to get some flowers. Where are the flowers? And then, you know, throw them in my cart. Because <laughs> that's what we call fake fruit. I used to have a big bowl of it on my kitchen table growing up. And you can't eat that stuff. It's nasty, right? But the real fruit, the, the real fruit is the stuff that just, just by, the, by the Holy Spirit's prompting happens. And that's the goal of the Christ life. Is that our new nature is our, it just becomes our nature. It just becomes who we are. And by the grace of God, that's what he hopes for all of us. And that's my hope for you as my people here at this church, as God's people here at this church, that you would take every advantage of growing up in this faith, that you'd fit the pants, that you'd learn more of the language, that you'd be available to every opportunity that God gives you to become everything that Jesus is with your life. Part of that might be discipling with one-on-one or one-on-some relationships. And next week you'll have a chance to be involved with that as God leads. Can I pray for God to lead? Let me pray. Hey, Lord, thanks for your word and a chance to uh, examine it now as people are going out and sorting through maybe their life groups. Uh, I pray that that becomes an area where they get discipled. But, but Lord, if there's more people in here who need to go further in their faith and and uh, further in their uh, allowing you to lead their lives and allowing uh, you to teach them what you want, what your words are, and then helping them become all that they've learned. Uh, that's all of us, God. Uh, lead us to the places where we can uh, receive from you, uh, to the relationships that will train us in what it is to follow you. I pray that with my whole heart for these people. I pray that people who don't know you yet will soon know you and walk through that door that salvation affords. Uh, but... Uh, May none of us be left behind. May we all grow to the full into what it is to be a Christian and a follower of yours. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer, I'll be up here. Make sure you sign up for a group. Have a great week. God bless you as you go.